put a hand on your own heart, because this is a heart level thing. Today, uh, every week, but today especially, this is a heart level thing. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful by your Spirit, Father in heaven, that you are moving among us, and you're speaking, and you're revealing your Son. And I am asking today, Holy Father, that you would breathe on each one, that you would minister to hearts, and that you would unlock and help us to see clearly, Lord, where we are, uh, are not experiencing the life you intended. And uh, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the invitation that's before us to encounter you in a fresh way. And so, Father, I pray this morning to that end that you would release revelation the knowledge of Jesus, that you would give us wisdom, that we would know how to apply that revelation. Lord, that our lives would demonstrate that we'd be transformed from the inside out. God, that uh, truly we'd be changed. We pray these things right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Um, my beloved wife is not in the room. She'll be here next service, but I am still going to talk about her. Um, real quickly, I, just because I don't want to, I don't want to forget and get uh, too far down the, the line. Also, um, there is in the lobby. You're going to find a table, and my father's going to be standing there. There are uh, opportunities in front of us to go to Israel this spring, and uh, this is we, this is kind of new territory for us. Um, both my dad and I are going to lead this trip. Uh, there's room for approximately 40 people, and uh, it's going to be a incredible opportunity. So we're going to have a lot of fun in terms of encountering the land of Israel and seeing, experiencing, but uh, it's also a spiritually minded trip. So the whole point is to encounter the Lord in the midst of history. And uh, so it's going to be quite the thing. So if you have questions about that, the reason I'm saying it is because there's a discount if we can get names in like this week. And so uh, if you have any interest in that, you should go out. You should talk to my father, Pastor Doyle, after service in the lobby. There you go. Commercial break over. All right. <laughs> uh, back to my wife. Nicole and I, so uh, can you put up that first picture there? Okay. This is our engagement photo. All right. I am 19. Right? We are young, young, young. But we have known each other our, most of our life. When I was in the fourth grade, I told her to move her fat head, and I got, uh, I got chastised by my own mother. And Nikki was sitting in front, of, in front of me in children's church, and I told her to move her fat head, and my mom came up behind me and made me apologize the whole bit, okay? And it was love at first sight. We, uh, we got engaged, and then uh, soon to be married, very quickly after that, we eloped. If you didn't know our story, you go ahead and show the next picture. This, we don't actually have a picture of our wedding. This is literally the day after. And it's the only picture that we have of that, that time. Um, the reason I'm showing this stuff to you is because tomorrow is our 25th wedding anniversary. You show that last picture there. I, I think we've improved. 
she is so hot, I can't believe how amazing and how lucky I am. Beautiful woman. And uh, inside and out. But I, I want to embarrass her a little bit. You know, our, our journey has not been easy. Anybody figure out that marriage is not easy? Yeah, anybody married for more than five seconds? <laughs> marriage is not easy. And uh, for, for our own journey, we, uh, we almost called it quits early on. Went through significantly difficult times, separated for a season. I did not think it was going to make it. And, uh, but the Lord. But Jesus stepped in and softened both of our hearts. And uh, where there was the, the, the pain and the hardness of heart towards each other, the Holy Spirit began to erode away and bring those walls down. And turns out we really do like each other. <laughs> right? This is... It's 23 years ago when all this happened, and I am so incredibly grateful for the Lord's mercy, for the Lord's kindness to be demonstrated through people, how staying the course in the covenantal relationship, I can't tell you how much change has been brought to both of our lives and how it was the covenant that did the work. I, I, I can't stress enough when I sit down with uh, a married couple that's going through a hard time, I just say, hey, chill out. Let the covenant do the work. You're, we're, we're trying to change each other. We're mad at each other. We're pushing. We're shoving. We're trying to get our way. There's, hey, just knock that, all that stuff off. Let the covenant do the work. What do I mean by that? The mean, it means this. A covenant is a, it's, it's, it's you, the two became one. It's, it's not something we end and when there is not the opportunity to end something, you have to work it out. We, get, we put pressure on people to change. We try to leverage our thoughts and ideas to, to maybe convince someone to change. We do all sorts of things to try to get the world around us to line up with the way we want things. <laughs> And in that effort, stress and anxiety and fear and all those things suddenly find a voice in, a, in, a, in this relationship. And if you'll just literally, if you'll let go of control and let the covenant do the work. In other words, there is no end to this, so stop thinking with ultimatums in your mind. There's no ultimatum here. There's not, if you don't, then I will. Because covenant means that's not on the table. And when we position our lives like this, it allows a supernatural reality. See, there is a breath of God on this holy union between a husband and a wife. There is a breath of God when the two become one flesh, when the two become one. When the husband and the wife come together, there is a God thing that takes place. It only takes place within the covenant. And when the covenant exists and the two have become one and they are facing each other eye to eye. Now, I know that there's actual real reasons why people go through divorce. And it's terrible and it's painful and it hurts lives. It destroys kids. It injures people for lifetimes. You might be walking with a limp because you went through a terrible marriage. I get all of that. And there is mercy and there is forgiveness for sure 
for both sides, all sides, and there's a healing virtue that God wants to bring to your life and bring you, make you a whole person again. Seeking God, maybe at the, 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 there's a stage where maybe even getting remarried is an opportunity and wholeness. Like, yeah, all of that is before you. I'm not canceling any of that opportunity. What I'm telling you is that I was that place when I'm 22, 23 years old, and I can tell you that when we finally let the covenant do the work, something supernatural began to take place in our lives, and I am a million times better of a man because of my wife. She has the greatest gift that I have ever experienced in my life by far. She has become Jesus in my life. The transformative, let me create our understanding around that comment. Jesus manifesting in my wife has been the single greatest place of transformation for me. Has been. I love you. You're impacting in my life. I think you're awesome. But there is nobody who compares to my wife when it comes to Holy Spirit using a person and bringing transformation. Are you alive? Okay. Now, I can brag on her for, seriously, I could talk for hours about this. But the reason I'm sharing these things is because there is a supernatural marriage that Jesus has invited you into. This, the example of what it is like to be a believer, a Christian, the calling is to be betrothed to Jesus. That the mystery of the husband and the wife is, it's a picture, a revelatory picture, the book of Ephesians says, concerning Jesus and the church. There's some mystery within this, and I, I wanted to share just one or two maybe secrets of what's happened in Nicole and I's lives. And, but, but really, it's pointing towards how to walk with your creator. How to experience life-changing transformation by being betrothed to Jesus. How he, the king, and the one whom the body of Christ is to be unified with for all of eternity, that, that something in this holy union, this covenant, we celebrated it this morning, this covenant will do all the work if you'll let it. If you will chillax a little bit, stop freaking out about all your religious passions, and let this covenant transform even the areas that are the most difficult the hardest I, I there's an invitation there a divine invitation that the holy spirit of god the life of heaven wants to pour into he wants to radically touch you not to make you more religious no 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 to give you life yes. Yes. to cause your life to come into abundance yes. i came to give you life and life abundantly what I got the life thing, man. I get that part. What about the abundance thing? Anybody like a little more abundance? Uh, I have a cup up here, right? He talks about the cup overflowing, right? This is a sad cup. This coffee's almost done. This is... See, the, the union produces life in every regard joy in every regard. There's so much that's available to us 
in our connection with Jesus. But often, there are barriers. Things pop up in our hearts that prevent us. There are doors, just like I talked about in communion. There are doors that we close to that connectedness, that fellowship. And when we do that, we don't realize that it's cutting us off from life. We feel like we're protecting ourselves, but really, there's an abundance. There's a full cup of coffee on the other side of that thing if you'll open the door. Are you alive this morning? Okay. <laughs> Is that Johnny? I can't see. No, where are we at here? I need to find, yes, okay. I need to find somebody, a friend in each side of the room so I can talk to you. Okay. I'm going to... I'm gonna, I prayed for us before, but this time I want you to come into agreement with a prayer. Because we're taking brokenness. I know all of us have been through stuff. If you are piecing a life together after a marriage has, has broken apart, oh man. Like, praise God that you're figuring it out. Praise God that, that we're in a new union. Praise God for all of the, the good things that have come. I'm with you. We're excited. We're cheering you on. I think also there's acknowledgement necessary for what it has cost to bring brokenness into this world. Brokenness into the generations. The leaving behind of a previous marriage. Like there's cost to these things. There's pain associated with it. I, I think it's worth acknowledging when when we go through something that there might be a healing process that's on the other side of this and that, that as a Christian, I kind of just want to put a good face on it and just, yeah, we're good. Yay, praise the Lord, brother. Yeah, high five all around. I get that. But the acknowledgement of it allows us the opportunity for Jesus to speak into that. When we ignore it, we just lock the door and we move down the hallway, right? But Jesus is at the door of those moments in our lives and he's knocking because he's wanting you to be whole. He's wanting the whole version of you, the best version of you. He wants to bring the whole version of you to the table. He's not interested in parts and pieces. He wants the whole body. <laughs> Would you put a hand on your heart? Holy Spirit of God. We invite you, would you come and breathe into us? I pray for ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that is able to perceive and acknowledge the knocking of the Lord on our door. In Jesus' name. This is Genesis chapter 3. Powerful stories. Genesis 3, it's very beginning. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've gone their own way. Sin literally means to go one's own way, all right, to miss the mark. If there's a big bullseye on the wall and we chuck a dart at it, we have not hit the bullseye. We've gone a little bit. You could hit the board. You're doing well. It's great, right? But you're off a little bit. That's sin. It is to miss the mark. It's to go one's own way. It's to make a decision all on your own when the Lord is trying to get you to invite him into decisions. He wants to be a part of your life, connected to you. But there are moments when we go, nah, I got this one, Jesus. I'm good with whatever outcome. I'm just going to chuck the dart at the board and go my own way. And the Lord is drawing near and he's saying, hey, 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 slow, slow down. I 
am not worried about what decision you make. Sometimes I think we go, we avoid Jesus because we think he's going to tell us to do something different than we want to do. And so you avoid it, not realizing that that's not what he's worried about. He's wanting to be unioned with you. He wants to be a part of the conversation. He married you. One of the deepest pains in a marital relationship comes when one of the partners keeps living their life and refuses to include the other. So you just leave them behind. Man, that causes pain. Talk about Jesus walks into the room with the 12 and he's been with them for three and a half years and he goes, one of you has gone your own way. I can feel it. There's a little bit of awkwardness. You're just going your own way and you've decided that you don't care. Whoo, that's painful. What happens in a marriage when one of the partners just goes, hey, I'm gonna go my own way and I really don't care what you think or what's going on in your life. Does that not bring about a life-altering pain? Sure does. This is where Jesus has been betrothed to you. And he is wanting to do life with you. He married you. Not to make you perfect. No, no. The cross was about removing sin out of the way. Not to be thought of again. This isn't part of your life anymore. The old nature was done away with so that you could emerge and walk with him. Life by the Spirit. Leaving behind the old ways of trying to do everything right. No. He has married you. He wants to be with you in this process. This is Genesis 3. Look at what happens in the beginning. Genesis 3 and verse 8. This is Adam and Eve. They ate of the tree. And then here's the aftermath. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Cool of the day. They must have been in fall. It's paradise and there was fall there. (laughs) The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and he said to them, where are you? He said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave me. The woman you gave to be with me. She gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Kind of feel the tension of this conversation, don't you? This is this experience that's taking place. And I, I want to visit this today because I'm not going to paint it in the way that you have heard other preachers paint it. I'm going to invite you to see this maybe a little differently. Okay. When we approach questions, when something has gone wrong and somebody asks a question, man, it's easy to be defensive, isn't it? I, I, this is, I, I see this in my children. Something goes wrong. I have eight children, so in our household, stuff goes wrong. 
every day, <laughs> right? The question, what have you done? That produces all sorts of things in an environment where somebody knows that they messed up and maybe they even knew what the right way of doing it was. This, this question does all sorts of things to emotions. Uh, questions like, why? Why did you do this? What have you done? Did you do that? Did somebody tell you? Did, oh, it was the woman. Oh, it was the serpent. It feels like the conversation is a process of casting blame. But the reason it feels that way is because we are approaching it the way that our human fathers would approach it. The invitation today is to see something a little bit differently. I want you to see the Father's heart in all of this today. I want you to cast a new shadow over your life. I want you to visit your past in a new way today. I, I, I want you to see things from a new perspective, a higher perspective. The perspective of a father who loves you and is just longing to be with you, truly. Who knows you to the utter core. I wonder what those questions would sound like if they were coming only from a good father who has no ulterior motive. Look at this again. Let's walk through this process. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember that? I mean, you weren't there, but you've read the story before. We've talked about it, right? We uh, have discussed it in previous weeks, and if you didn't hear those sermons, I really encourage you to go back and listen. Um, reason being because they build and lay a foundation for what we're talking about today. But this process, look at this. Adam and Eve, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens immediately? It says, God shows up looking for them. That's amazing. Look at what happens immediately. They eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and God shows up going, hey, where are you? What does that tell you about the character of your father? See, when something wrong happens, and there is a sense of distance in a relationship, the temptation is to avoid, the temptation is to confront, the temptation is to control. There are all sorts of temptations around. Somebody did something wrong, and I feel the distance in our relationship. What did your earthly father do? You messed up, and now you're waiting on the couch for dad to come home. What are you waiting for? The hammer to drop, right? You have a sense of doom over it. Anybody remember this? All of you were good. You never skipped school. I skipped school. I've been caught. I, you know, I'm smart, but I'm not as smart as my parents were when I was that young, okay? That sense of impending doom, the sense of distance, look at what the father does. As soon as he feels the distance, as soon as he feels the disconnect in the relationship, he's heading towards it. He's running to you. He's not avoiding it. The tension in the room, he is ignoring it. He's going straight towards you. You sin and you feel distance. You come into worship. You feel the distance between you and God. The presence of God draws near. We're in this worship experience. What does your heart do? 
What's going on with you? Are you looking inside and going, oh, I wonder what else I did wrong. I better deal with this stuff so that I can worship. See, the father is like, hey, I ain't talking to you about any of that stuff. I'm just trying to reconnect with you. He's drawing near. What's our tendency? Look at what Adam and Eve did. What did they do? <laughs> Look at what they did. When somebody disconnects relationship with you, when you feel a little distance in a relationship, what's your tendency? What do you, what do you do? Let's get honest with ourselves for a second. Is that right? It's Labor Day weekend. Come on, it's vacation. You got an extra day to process this. <laughs> what do you do with it? Do you break up with them before they can break up with you? Feel a little distance in the relationship, so I better end this before they can end it. Are you searching for power? Are you searching for, like, control in the relationship? Are you searching for the boundaries where you now know where you stand? And even though the question is still in the air, you're trying to answer the question because you know you'll feel better about it if you have the answer. Have you ever done that before? You heard a rumor she was going to break up with you, so you wrote a note to her on the bus ride home to end it before she could end it with you. You ever, you ever have a sense that somebody is really, they're drawing distance from you, and so instead of having a conversation with this friend, instead you throw a rumor out there and you tell everybody else that you're actually mad with them? Are you a closet Packers fan? And you're afraid to let it out in the context of Vikings fans. It's, come on, freedom to the people. We're... Why do we do that? Okay, when there's distance, do you chase after them? Do you give them all the power and so you're chasing after them and then they play hard to get and it's just like this circus game? Is that what goes on? Do you distance yourself from them so that you feel a little bit more power and safety because you're afraid of what they might do to you? See, this thing, this relational context game thing that we have learned to play because this is what the world does. This is not who your heavenly father is. Not who he is at all. The Lord felt the disruption in connection with his kids, and immediately he sought them out. I think this is where sometimes we feel pain from our upbringings. Because when something happened, mom and dad did not pursue. Disruption happens in the marriage, and the kid gets left behind, and mom and dad didn't pursue. That pursuit thing matters. You know what it says? It says, I care and I, I want to be connected to you. I, I don't care about the circumstances. I'm trying to be connected to you. I'm trying to take this journey with you. That is so vital. It's core to the human existence. And that thing exists in your relationship with God. He is ever pursuing you, not in desperation, He's not codependent with you. He just really likes you. Would you say that to yourself this morning? Go, God really likes me. 
I'm pretty awesome. Maybe that's why you got that front row parking spot, right? God loves you. He likes you. <laughs> that's real, she says. Okay. Hey, y'all. I need you to forgive your parents. I need you to forgive your parents. Some of you, some of your parents have, you, they, you have buried them 20 years ago, and yet the distance and the pain of their process of upbringing still is with you, and you're carrying it forward. And Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart today, and he's saying, hey, let, I think it's time. Okay? To release, to forgive they were unable to provide what you needed. It's okay. Let's forgive them. We're getting somewhere. I'm digging at it. Don't worry. We'll get there. Just in the quietness of your heart right now, I just want you to acknowledge. See, acknowledgement is the process. It's the pathway to getting this thing unlocked from you. Light has to touch it. You got to acknowledge it. Like, you know what? I got some pain, residual pain, that I'm carrying from my upbringing. Anybody? Holy Spirit, would you breathe on each one today? Adam and Eve hid themselves when they heard the sound of God's presence drawing near, which is a sermon in itself, the sound of God's presence. I love that one. When you have done something wrong and you feel the distance in your relationship with God, when his presence shows up, what's your response? Are you running to him? Or is it kind of like the prodigal son? Do you remember that story? Two sons grow up in the same household, loving father, providing everything for them. One son says, I want my inheritance now. Goes off to the far off line and uh, in, in squanders his wealth. He, he loses everything. And then one day he's sitting in a pig pen, starving to death. And the scripture says he came to himself when he remembered that his father's household had provision. He remembered something about his connection with his father. And as soon as he did, he got up, he left the pigs, and he started home. And when the rumor hit that he's heading home, the father went and got sandals covering for his feet, which would have been a sign in that culture, grabbed the ring of inheritance, the sign of the family crest, grabbed a robe, and runs to the son to restore him. This is your heavenly father. He does not want distance. He wants you to know that you are fully received. No matter what's happened, no matter what you've gone through, you are fully received. Not only that, but he's trying to draw you back into promotion, into who you're really called to be. The simple turning of the heart. You're heading back home. Boom. This is what heaven is responding to you like. When you feel a little distance, this is what heaven is responding to. The distance is not on God's end. I love this. I like the questions that God asks at the beginning. Can I ask these questions of you right now? Look at this, okay? This is, this is, uh, this is cray cray, all right? God does not withdraw himself from Adam and Eve. He's trying to reconcile them. He's trying to restore them. But he's finding out what's going on, right? And God asks them some questions. And I want you to hear it with the tone that the world would ask them. 
Look at these questions here. God shows up and he goes, where are you? You hear that tone? Where are you? Oh, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid. I was naked, so I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Um, it was the woman. The woman you gave me, right? Pass the blame here. The woman you gave me, she's the one that did it. Okay, and then he looks over at Eve. What is this you've done? Uh, it was the snake. He lied to me. Is that the tone of a good father? It's the tone we hear. Maybe it's the tone you give to your kids. That's not the tone of your father. That's not how the father talks. A good father. See, look at this. In the world when a relationship breaks down or wrong is committed and authority has to get involved, like a judge, right? In the world, we ask questions for a different motivation than the father asks questions for. In the world, a judge asks the question to obtain information. Who? What? When? Where? Why? Right? Can I ask you a question real quick? Does your father in heaven need any information? He's not seeking for information, is he? So why is he asking? He's, he doesn't need, he knows everything. He is omniscient. He really does. He knows everything. So why is he asking? Is he manipulative? Is he trying to get something out of you? It, what's he, what's he, is, he, is he really clever and so he's asking a question to prove a point? Nope, this isn't your father. In the world, we ask questions to assign responsibility. Blame. Who's, whose fault is this? You did this. Why? Okay, who told you to do that? And I'm looking to assign who's ultimately responsible. Can I ask you a question? If God knows everything, is he asking for information? Does he know who's responsible for the decisions? Do you think that he maybe figured that out long before Adam and Eve did? Then why is he asking? In the world, we ask questions to confirm our biases and to condemn the guilty. We, we have a bias. You have an idea, and so you ask a question to confirm it. But is the father lacking any information? Keep traveling with me, y'all. Don't get exhausted in this process. We're really going someplace. A bomb is about to drop in your hearts. He knows everything. God does not ask questions to obtain information. God does not ask questions to assign blame. And God does not ask questions to condemn us. He does not have a bias that is needing to be confirmed. Accusation is never in his heart. Never. He already knows everything. So then why does God ask questions? In the very moment where Adam and Eve messed up big time, they hid, they went hiding. They were naked and they were ashamed. And they understood the distance that they created by going their own way. That, all that came crashing in on them. 
They just experienced the loss of the breath of life. Eternal life had been filling them. And in that moment, they went their own way. They experienced what it is like to now have years assigned to their life versus eternal life flowing through them. All of that came crashing in. Boom. In that very moment, a door closed and the father came knocking. Why is God asking questions? You know, I'm kind of, at least around our office and people that meet with me, we, um, the questions come up a lot. I, I, I ask questions. These are a tool that the Lord's given me. And, and I've, I've worked really hard at attempting to understand this heartbeat because I really, really, really want the Father to demonstrate himself I want to get out of the way for those kinds of meetings, especially when they're hard meetings. So I ask a lot of questions around, when I, if I ever meet with you, I'm going to ask you questions. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to preach at you. I ask a lot of questions to draw something out of you. When God asks a question, he's opening a doorway, and this is what I want you to see. Questions are doorways leading to rooms with opportunity. A question is not. See, when you have a bias, you have opened a doorway to a hallway. You're trying to get someplace. When, when, you, when you are condemning someone, the reason you're asking a question is to make sure that you assign blame. You're trying to get someplace. When you have an assumption in your heart, you ask a question to confirm your assumption. How many fights have you had with your spouse over things like this? You asked a question because you're assuming something, and it turns out that you're a dude and you don't know anything about women. I can't tell you how many fights we've had in my life, right? Arguments, these kinds of things, and it was because I came to the conversation assuming some things instead of being curious, The doorway of a question is an opportunity to have relationship and connection. That is what a question is. When God asks a question, he's not seeking for information. He's trying to connect with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you in this situation. I have a four-year-old, okay? Her name is Ainsley, and she is a bundle of energy and joy. If you've ever interacted with Ainsley, you know what I'm talking about, okay? This girl, this is our final child, our eighth child, right? Many of you ask, are you going to have more? The answer is no. No. All right, I'm 44. No way. Are you kidding me? Okay. That's for grandchildren, right? We're not going. So eight kids, okay, and our final child, right? When she came into this world... Energy. I know this girl inside and out. She joins us in bed every morning as Nicole and I drink a cup of coffee. She's, she's so full of life, and, and she's got all these little sayings and questions that she asks, and she's just a volcano of interaction all the time. As her dad, I don't have to ask any questions. I, I know what she's going to say. I know what she is thinking. I know this girl. Right? She surprises us every once in a while, right? But rarely. Why? Because I've gotten to know her. Because I'm her father. Because I can see where she came from. I understand her history. I get it all. I know. So when, when I ask a question of my four-year-old, I am not seeking information. I know what's going to come out of her mouth. 
She's learning to ride a bike right now. She's out in the street, right? Little cul-de-sac. She's tooling around out there, and she comes in excited. I don't have to ask her any questions about this moment. I've been watching it the whole time, seeing the experience. But guess what I do? First thing she comes in, guess what I'm doing? How was it, Ainsley? What was the experience like? Hey, I saw, I saw you tipped over over there. What happened there? I saw you, you. Remember, we talked about going on the sidewalks alone. I don't want you in the street. Could you tell me what happened? Hey, I saw you tipped over and, and you scraped your knee there. Does it hurt? I just want you to know daddy's here. I love you so much, honey. Mom and I want to make sure that you're okay and that you're not going to injure yourself and destroy your life someday by ignoring direction of authorities. If there's ever discipline that has to take place with my daughter, the point is to address her will, not to, not to try to control her, but it's to try to help her shape her will so she knows how to submit to authority later on in life. My engagement and my connection with my four-year-old has nothing to do with control. It has everything to do with connection. I want to be in the moment with her. Why? Because there is a joy in this connectedness. Do you, when she messes up, I want to be in it with her. I'm not trying to assign blame. I'm not trying to cast her out. I'm not trying to, t oh, it's a tough world out there, so you better figure it out on your own. I know you're four, but, you know, you can figure it out. Come on, are you processing this a little bit? Think bigger pictures. Anybody into sports in here? Thank you, V. Nicole and I enjoy watching the commentators, especially after a long weekend of football. Mostly because the Packers win. It's great. I'm just trying to lighten the mood here. Come on, laugh a little bit. It's not that serious. But we enjoy watching the commentators. Now, we watched the game. So why in the world would you enjoy watching interviews with players that I just watched the game? I love that. The sideline reporter comes up to the guy and he's, you know, <laughs> you just lost the game, coach. How do you feel? You know, like, <laughs> you just caught the game-winning touchdown. What was it like? Well, I reached up and I grabbed it, hauled it in. Cross the line. Okay, when a reporter or when you're watching those kinds of experiences, see, I played football in high school. I know the game. I really do. I was captain of the football team. Watched enough of the game to really have a, as much of an understanding as a sideline person can understand, right? I get that. I'm, I'm interactive with it. I'm, we enjoy it. Our household, we just enjoy it. But I also enjoy the interaction that happens after a game. Why? Why do I enjoy the interaction that happens after a game? Why do I want to hear the reporter ask about the, you made that block, what was it like? Why am I, why? Because I want to know what it was like for them. Because I, I like the sense of connectedness with that player. I, I enjoy that. Right? I like 
I, I, I have knowledge. I don't need knowledge. I watched it happen. I don't need the experience. I was there. I saw the whole thing. What I am seeking after is the relational connectedness. I want to know what it was like for them. The sports analogy sort of drops off here, but this is where God touches your life. The Father is wanting to hear your voice. Come on, when you read scriptures like this, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. You ready? You guys haven't smiled or laughed in a while. You're doing okay out there? I can't tell if I'm just pushing too hard. It's Labor Day weekend. Pastor Jamie, lighten up, right? Here we go. Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you're praying... Don't use meaningless repetition. Just repeat words. Now I lay me down to sleep. Right? Meaningless. Unless what? Unless there's a heart connection to it. Don't use meaningless repetition, supposing that you'll be heard because of your many words. It's not your time in the prayer closet that matters. Don't be like them. For, look at this, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Therefore, pray in this way. What a statement. He knows everything that's going to come out your mouth. He knows what you need. That's why you should talk to him about it. Listen, if, you've been, if you're a, a Christian, you've been walking with the Lord a long time, but your prayer life is terrible... It's because of this. You, you're not connecting this reality. The Father wants to be in it with you. <laughs> he wants to be in it with you. He's, we're not trying to get an outcome. Some people pray to achieve an outcome. We're not trying to achieve an outcome. Please let that stuff go. You don't pray so that the nations will get saved. I'm praying that the nations get saved. But the outcome is not what's important. That's not the pursuit. Okay, we're not trying to achieve something, no matter what the goal is. That's not the point of your prayer, is to achieve something. No, the Father knows what we need. The Father knows. What's the deal then? Why is he wanting you to be a part of discipling the nations? Why is he wanting to hear your voice? Why is he instructing you? Pray then in this way. My Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Why is Jesus... Saying to us, he knows everything, therefore you should talk to him. Because he wants to be in it with you. You lost someone close. You're in pain. He knows. That's why he's knocking on the door of your heart because he would like to restore that connection with you in this moment because he's trying to be in it with you. Yeah, you're going through a difficult time. Yeah, he's wanting to be in it with you. Y'all, he's not trying to tell you what to do. This is the whole thing. Please stop seeking God as if we're trying to achieve something, you're trying to get something done, or you're trying to get the right answer. This is, none of it is true. He's trying to hear you. He... God with us. It's the reason he came, Emmanuel. He wants to be with you. Right. 
salvation. He's not just trying to get you to heaven, y'all. He's trying to reconnect eternal life so that your life can be connected to the Father who loves you. This is the way life was supposed to be lived. Not to build bigger churches or achieve great things. That's all in the world. No, no. I don't want a bigger church if it means that we stop connecting with one another. That's nonsense. What's the point of that? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to add more services if it means that we have to curtail worship in such a way that we stop connecting with his heart. We... we these are, this is how the, it practically touches things, but the heart of it, do you see the heart of it? The father is drawing near and he's asking questions. And he's like, hey, what's going on? The other day, real, real time, I'm driving on the road and somebody like does something in front of me. It's really annoying because I'm a traffic snob, okay? I'm a driving snob. And I really truly believe everyone should drive the way I drive, Okay. truth. The world would be a better place. Okay? So that control thing in me manifests in driving. I don't know why. And so something happens and I get frustrated, right? And I'm like talking to myself in the car. You know? And I'm having this moment and then suddenly I'm like, it crashes in. And I can kind of feel the whisper of the Holy Spirit like, hey, what's going on? He's not condemning me. He's not condemning me. He's not like, you should drive nicer. Well, yes, of course I should drive nicer, but that's the reason I don't have a fish on the back of my car, okay? (laughs) I'm being funny, but it's truth. (laughs) Because I'm a work in process. No, the Lord... I can feel the Lord, he's knocking on the door of my heart in this area because something's going on. Like, why? Why, why would I have all of this life in all the other areas of my life, but when it comes to this area, suddenly I'm going, I'm like bonkers? Like, what's the deal here? And, I'm, and the, I can feel the Lord asking the question, why are you doing this? If I was thinking from a condemned point of view, if I didn't understand that the Father just really is trying to draw near, how would I respond? Defensively. Oh, look, they made me do it. Look at. <laughs> Can you believe it, Lord? Look at how bad they drive, right? No. Funny illustration, though, but isn't that what happens? And I just wanted you to understand that the Lord loves you so much, y'all. He's not afraid of the junk going on in your life. He's trying to have a conversation about it because as soon as light touches it, the issue will be done. See, confession, confessing of sin is is not about, I did something wrong, please forgive me. That's not confession. Confession is the coming into the light. It's the acknowledging something's going on. It's the drawing near and letting truth touch it. Because as soon as truth touches it, everything changes. Okay, I want you to walk away with two things today. That was the first one. God wants to know you. And the second one comes in the verse basically right after it. This is Matthew 6, 25. Matthew 6. 
and then we'll land the plane. Don't worry. For this reason, I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Love the question. Because if you believe you're worth more than that, then you shouldn't worry about those things. Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? There's your health industry. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. And yet, I say to you, not even Solomon, all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Don't worry then, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Can I ask a question? If you took away all of your petitions around the stuff that you need, would you have a prayer life? If you stopped asking for anything, would you have a prayer life? How much of your prayer life is connection and how much of it is, oh Lord, I need this, I need that. Can't you see? I'm worried about the future. Verse 32, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Now, it's really this simple. First one is this. First point is this, that the Lord wants to know you and he wants to be connected to you in your process. And so each day you should get up and invite him into it. Not to figure out all the right things to do, but just to do the day with him. And the second thing is this. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything you're worried about, the future, everything you're planning for, all that stuff will be added to you. That is, that's the question flipped on its head. The first one is this. God wants to know you. The second thing is this. God wants you to know him. It's not all about you. He has some things to say to you because he's trying to invite you into a better life. Seek the kingdom, seek his will, and then all the things you're worried about will come to you. Stop running from him and locking the door of areas of your life. Just invite him in and let him talk to you about things because in that connectedness, man, he's gonna heal you, he's gonna set you free, there's gonna be life that flows, joy's gonna return, all those things. Don't run away from relationships. Those covenantal relationships are there for a reason. Let the power of the connection do the work for you. Stop trying to change people. Just enter into it with the Lord and watch as he does something. Are you alive this morning? Church, our prayer room, which it's right over there. We built a permanent prayer room because the Lord wants to encounter you. He wants, to, he wants your face before him. He, he wants to connect with you. He wants to talk to you about things and teach you things, and he wants to hear from you. 
kind of wonder if we shifted the focus of accomplishing things just to being fruitful, what God would actually do through our life. Just stand to your feet today. <laughs> to close your eyes, this is John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that you might know the Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Father, I pray today that the sound of Jesus knocking on our lives would be heard. Holy Spirit, you'd help us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, just open the door. Fear and anger and those kinds of things, will it'll, it'll cause you to latch the door. You'll, you'll lock it. But if you approach and understand the Father's good, he's not trying to blame you. He's not trying to accuse you. He's not trying to command you even. He's trying to help you. Open up to him. Would you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, I hear your voice this morning. Would you come into my life? Come in. God, there's some things that I'm afraid of. There's some things I'm angry about. There's some painful things, Lord, and I'm really not wanting to talk about it, but I'm inviting you, Jesus. Would you come in? Unresolved traumas. Jesus wanted to talk to you about it. He's not trying to fix you. He just wants to be with you in it, and life is going to come because of that. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Draw near. Draw near. Draw near to your people. This is what he's doing. He's drawing near. Will you draw near to him? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come, Lord? The face of our children, those little ones that we're going to delight in as we pick them up here in a moment, that those little ones, oh, how downcast their faces turn when we blame, accuse, get angry with, attempt to pin responsibility on. Ugh. How downcast their faces become. But when a daddy, when a mommy pulls up next to them and in curiosity asks questions and is in the pain with them, oh, how different of an experience it is. Father, I pray that you would enable our family, our corporate family, to walk in light of your goodness and to know you. Holy Spirit, we're asking, would you please teach us your ways? Come your kingdom, Lord. The rule of heaven be done in our situations. Lord, we seek your kingdom, your rule, your ways. We want to know you, Lord. We want to be known and we want to know you. Just like heaven. Father, I bless your people today. I pray, God, that you would give them an amazing Labor Day weekend. and Be filled with joy and connection and love. Lord, where there's disconnect in family members, God, I pray that you would bring supernatural reconnection. Lord, where there's the breakdown of marital relationships, I pray that you bring healing and restoration. Lord, where there's the new and the blending and the attempt to bring families together for the first time, Lord, I pray that that would go amazing. Bless them, Lord. I bless the body of Christ. I bless you as a people to be. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth 
Subdue it. Experience God's goodness in your life. Lord, bless them. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face and countenance be towards you. May he be gracious to you and grant you peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today?